So again, I, this isn't something formal, but I read through it a little bit and just thought about it, and probably just some things that the Lord's been sharing with me lately. But Matthew ten twenty seven, Jesus says to them, He says, "Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops." I'll read the next couple, but it says, "And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul." but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the hairs of your head are all numbered, and do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And I think it's interesting that this little bird's nest is sitting right here as we read these verses, and they planned this, but, uh, you know, found this bird's nest yesterday, and God knows, and God knew those sparrows. God knew when that nest would fall to the ground. He knows when a snake gets them or a cat finds them. But he says, aren't you more valuable than a little sparrow, a tiny little bird? You know, don't fear, don't be afraid um, when those things do happen. And, uh, you know, I think that's important. And when God does speak to us those quiet things, when he does whisper to us, this is the way, or he tells us, things about ourselves or about the scripture or about him that we need to believe them and believe them so much that our lives become devoted to them to preach them from the housetops to not be ashamed to uh, raise the banner so to speak to proclaim them that just because God speaks us to something personally doesn't mean that it's not meant for people corporately that when God gives us a word, yes, it's for us. Obviously, God has to minister to us and in us before he can minister through us. But that sometimes I think we, we're given those words, and we're going to look at prophecy today and other things, but we tend not to share them because we're afraid to share them, even amongst believers, or we're afraid to exercise them. We're afraid what people are going to think about us when we say, well, this is what the Lord has been showing me, or this is a word I have from you from the Lord, or this is what I believe the word, the word of the Lord would be for the church. And, you know, I, I think there's a health to that. We don't want to be full of ourselves or think that we've got the leg up. You know, the Bible says that uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And, you know, there's definitely a risk to that. But I think that as we pray and as we seek the Lord, and as I know that we do these things, um, God is faithful to use them and show us. Um, himself in them and through them but lord we ask again that you would just bless our time together uh, this morning and your word and that uh, god i thank you for my family and i thank you that god you made us a part of your family that god like the song was saying that we're children of you our king and god uh, break our hearts a little more this morning mold us a little more a lot more and uh, make us like you god may we see you and hear from you father let us know your will and uh God, your direction for us, and God, if you have a word for us or for the church, would you uh, use it and minister to us simply, God, as we come to you simply in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so Acts, we left off. Um, the, Paul and the apostles, and they've been going around and going on mission trips and being involved with believers and facing persecutions and... Um, yeah, I think we read it and we know it sometimes, but again, it's. I think that we tend to miss the real picture of the church that the Bible gives us. Um, you know, we're we're blessed to have all the things that we have. Uh, you know, we're blessed to have grown up in the churches that we grew up in. You know, at least grew up spiritually, even though we were adults. But uh, right, Jake. But um, you know, I think that there's a 
there's a reality sometimes that we miss the scriptures. And I'll say that a lot because I think sometimes that's really easy to miss. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them, verse 1 in chapter 21 of Acts, and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Um, you know, so here they are. They've, they've come. A lot of those chapters... A lot of acts, a lot is really places that they're listing and saying where they're going. But I think it's interesting that they're just going. You know, they they haven't gotten on hotels.com or whatever Expedia. They go and they find a boat, and they find a boat to where they want to go, and they get on and they go. There's not this complicated deal with it. You know, they don't overcomplicate things. They just go for it. They find a ship. They set sail to Phoenicia, and we went aboard and set sail. In verse three, when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. So, um, you know, they're not on uh, Carnival Cruise Lines. They're on a cargo boat. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And, you know, uh, they found disciples there. They... Can you sit down, bud? Jake, sit down. You know, they find disciples when they go someplace. They go and they find them and... They fellowship with them, and I think that that's been a part of the blessing of being down here is finding disciples, finding people who really uh, love Jesus, finding people who are really devoted to him, um, no matter the circumstance. Um, you know, a few friends sharing me stories about stuff they've gone through while being down here, or just in life, you know, down here. Um, and just that they really love Jesus. You know, I think the further south we get, we would get into the Bible Belt. And I've been down there on business and things. And, you know, you never really know what you're going to find. I think you never really know what you're going to find anywhere. There's different um, groups of believers or people who claim to be believers everywhere. Um, but it's important that we find those believers. That when we go somewhere, maybe if you go on, a, especially on missions... But as they traveled, they found uh, other disciples, and they stayed with them. Um, I think it's always been a blessing. I've been involved in missions trips, or you go visit a church somewhere, or um, you're even traveling sometimes, and you bump into believers. But um, they told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. You know, Paul had this desire to go back and minister to the Jews, and they're warning him, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. It's not their Spirit, it's a capital S, not to go up to Jerusalem. That, hey, Paul probably not a good idea i mean they're not necessarily saying that they prophesied here but that they had to go that they shouldn't go up there that there was some wisdom some spiritual wisdom in this council that they gave them that it's not a good idea to go up there um you know i think there's times in our lives when we desire to do things and people tell us that it's probably not a good idea maybe they don't have a word from the lord specifically but they you know it's through the spirit they're spirit-filled believers and they love the lord and we know that they love the lord we see it in the evidence in their lives that you know uh, there's a saying about consider the source that when someone tells you something, even if they're a believer, well, you know, not that God can't use anybody, but what does their life look like? Is this uh, accurate spiritual counsel? So it says in verse five, when they had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way and they had all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship 
and they returned home that even in the short amount of time that they were together between traveling and just meeting together, that they formed a, a deep bond with these people. And I think, you know, we can probably relate to that, to people that we've met um, down here or along the way in our lives where maybe we haven't even known them that long, but you have this deep bond with them that, you know, sometimes you're around people all the time, maybe coworkers or friends, and you're friends with them, but there's not necessarily that deep bond there. And I think that as believers, when we're genuinely pursuing the Lord and we're about the things of the Lord, when we meet other believers and they have that same passion, that same pursuit, um, we're going to have a deep bond together. Um, I think that sometimes there's not a deep bond when, um, not that we're always all going to be compatible, but when the pursuits are different, when the heart desires are different, you know, maybe you get together about football, maybe you get together about whatever it is you get together, and there's a bond there, but it's not the same deep bond that comes uh, through the Lord. You know, there's sayings about being fast friends, and I don't necessarily know that, that that's the case because sometimes we're fast friends for the wrong reasons. But when it comes to believers, sometimes you make friends that will last a lifetime um, from just a short visit. But you see that their whole family followed them. When they got to the beach, they knelt down and they prayed. That When they left, they didn't say, hey, Paul, have a good trip. They said, Paul, we're going to walk you out. We're going to take you all the way down to the seashore with our whole family. We're going to come out this day and walk you out, and then we're going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you because we know that it's hard out there. We know that there's trouble awaiting you. And besides that, we love you. And, you know, just like you guys in the morning when I go to work and you come all the way to the door and then you come out the door and I'm sure you'd run to my car and say goodbye to my car, you know. In the old days before TSA, when you could go all the way up to the gate with someone before they got on a plane, you know. When you love someone, you want to spend every moment with them. You know, even driving away, you text them or whatever. Hey, you know. Because you love them and you care for them. And, and when that's missing, it's, it's heartbreaking. When, when that can't be found in a group of believers, I wonder, what are we believing in? When that can't be found in our family, I wonder, who are we trusting in? Verse 7 says, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, and came to Ptolemy, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. So again, they greet believers when they stay with them. There's this hospitality. Yeah, the hotel, you know, there wasn't really a hotel industry as much as there is today. People stayed with each other more and more back then. But, but man, the difference there is there. And the next day, we were, uh, Paul's companions, verse 8, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with them. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Um, we'll stop there. It says, you know, that, that we came to a new town. We found Philip the Evangelist. This guy is the evangelist. Not just, you know, like you see on the vans, you know, uh, most, re- most high reverend, whatever. But this guy, Philip, was an evangelist. That was his gift and calling from God. And so much that would even be his title. That the call on this man's life was so strong. And his obedience to that call was so strong. That there was no disconnect between his title and his person. Uh, and his personality was not the driving factor for being an evangelist, you know, like we talked about. I think a lot of times we elevate someone's personality or personality type and confuse that with the gift and calling of God. But this man was called of God to be an evangelist, someone who publicly and regularly spoke about Jesus to unbelievers. You know, there's a, we're going to look at prophecy a little bit, uh, and pastor, teacher, where, you know, you're really ministering mostly to believers. Yeah, there would probably be an unbeliever once in a while, um, and pro- hopefully more often than not. 
Um, but mainly the call of the pastor teacher is to equip the people who are believers already to go out and do the work uh, of an evangelist, so to speak, whether you're evangelizing in word or deed or just going out in the world. But this guy's call was to go out and evangelize, like a Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie or uh, someone of that nature, where their whole life is built on the Lord and is built on bringing unbelievers to him. And that's a call in all of our lives, but that this is the main focus, the main mission of this man, Philip, uh, his life. And it's that his daughters, it doesn't say that he had four daughters who were also evangelists, you know, but his daughters, they prophesied that God had given his four daughters prophecy, uh, the gift of prophecy. And, you know, that's kind of a rare thing, especially in Jewish culture, for women to be given anything. You know, they weren't considered the same. Yeah, we see pictures in the Old Testament. God obviously loves women and, and uses them for his glory. We see lots of pictures like Ruth and Esther and, and Mary and Elizabeth and, and Miriam and even uh, Rahab, the, the prostitute, is used for his glory. She turns to the Lord. She ends up in the lineage of Jesus. But that these girls who, you know, they, they're not evangelists because their dad's an evangelist. They're prof- they prophesy. Doesn't say that they're prophets, so to speak, that necessarily that they have the office of a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but that now in the New Testament time, God has given by his Holy Spirit these words um, through them. Whether it was to these guys specifically here or just in general, you know, I don't know enough about the scripture here to, to make that call. But man, I believe that, that, that they know the Lord. And I can think of people in my life I know that, man, being young women in the Lord in youth group or... Um, or growing up, or even like my daughter, or you know, my wife, or uh, friends' wives. Like when we get together in Bible studies together, and you know, uh, our friend, pa- you know, our friend Pagel, for instance, when we get together in a Bible study, and she'll be quiet for a while, and then she'll say something, and it's like that is from the heart of the Lord. That is from an insight that you're not going to glean from the scriptures. And that's, and that's the Lord. And, you know, uh, you as well. You know, there's things that, that you speak that when we get together in the Word that I wouldn't have picked on otherwise. Or that minister, even if I knew that physically the way it impacts me is, is differently, is different. And, th- and that's important. I think it's beautiful that Philip the evangelist, while he's an evangelist, his daughters are following the Lord. And I pray for you guys that you guys are always following the Lord and serving him. And he already uses you. I love seeing you worship and things. But they prophesied here, um, you know, that these girls, they were dedicated to him. They were virgin daughters. They weren't married yet, and they were of marrying age, but they were focused on the Lord. They were focused on the Lord. And as he stayed many days, a certain prophet, verse 10, named Agabus, came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet. You know, he hogtied himself, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him, that's Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. You know, we see this guy Agabus come down, and this guy was a prophet. This guy, I don't know, I don't know that he was necessarily, um, you know, of Jeremiah or Ezekiel caliber or things like that, or Elijah or Elisha. But um, he came down, and he had a word from the Lord. You know, we don't know the story behind it. Maybe he heard Paul's in town. Maybe he was praying, and God said, Paul's in town. Go down to you know, go down to Caesarea and talk to him. But when he gets there, he does this physical picture 
of what's going on. He takes the belt of Paul, he wraps his hands, he wraps his feet, and he says, he gives a word from the Lord. He says, the Lord says that the owner of this belt is going to be bound in Jerusalem. Um, you know, and we think of the prophets in the Old Testament, how when God called a prophet, a lot of the times he gave them physical pictures. Hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? Uh, and then they had to go out and actually, then they had to go out and actually do them. But they had to give a physical picture. You know, they they were taught to lay on their side to represent Israel. Uh, you had to marry a, 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 a whore to represent God's relationship with the people. It, this gift and this calling of a prophet in the Old Testament scriptures, at least, and I'm sure it, it has some significance for the New Testament implementation. But there was this physical picture in the life of the prophet, this physical example to the people, because they weren't hearing. They weren't hearing. They weren't listening. So they needed to see an example set forth. Like when it comes to disciplinary action, when people don't listen to the law, a lot of times an example has to be made for them. You know, when kids are acting up in class, one kid has to be called out. The instigator has to be called out and disciplined publicly that the rest may see that something goes on. And we see that also in Corinthians in the scriptures. And God, uh, and God does that here through this man. Um, and I think maybe this man, I don't know, maybe the way I read it is that he was convinced that Paul was going to hear the prophecy and not go on, or that the goal of the prophecy was to get Paul not to go. And that's not, not the case, obviously. I think the, the goal of the prophecy here was to let people know that God was in control. Let Paul know that God was in control, that even as bad things were going to happen, God was still in control. And in a sense, also, when bad things are going to happen, are we still willing to go? If someone came to prophesy in our lives and say, hey, you know, you guys are going to have a great honeymoon, but on the fourth day, the boat's going to catch on fire. You know, you still want to go. We probably would have said no. But here we see that when God has called us to do something, or we see Paul called to do something, he says, guys, what are you doing? I, I, I get it. You're breaking my heart, you know, to see how much you care about me and how much you don't want me to get hurt. You know, you see me beaten before. You see me near death before. There's probably even bruises on his body permanently, so to speak. But he says, I'm not waiting to be bound. I'm willing to go to prison. But more than that, I'm willing to die. You know, uh, Paul would say in the scriptures that um, he would rather be accursed and let the people be forgiven. I mean, I don't, you know, as... I've wanted to pray that maybe a few times on occasion for a family, but I don't know that I ever really truly meant it. Would you, you know, would you ever consider going to hell just so someone else could go to heaven? I mean, that's a, that's a strong thing to say. Um, and I don't know that I desire that. And I don't know that God would have me desire that or have anyone really desire that in reality, other than, you know, the reality is that, that we need Jesus. But he wants to do it for the name of the Lord Jesus, that there's this importance here that he does it and he does it for Jesus. He's not going for his own sake. He's not going for his own reputation. He's going because the name of Jesus is worthy. And he said he would not be persuaded. And so they ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. That they said, okay, we, this is the prophecy and the prophecy is true, but maybe we're, misin, maybe we're misinterpreting it. Maybe our heart's desire is to take this prophecy about Paul being bound and worse in Jerusalem and to take it and say, okay, well, that means that you shouldn't go at all. And because that's our desire, we don't want to lose you. You know, well, you know like Mary would cling to Jesus, said, don't cling to me yet. Or, uh, you know, I'm going, but you guys can't follow. You know, these, these things of the Lord where he had to go and do these things, whether they uh, desired it or not. And not that their desires were satanic, like Peter saying, not so, Lord. But really that, you know, 
they had a godly desire. They love Paul. They care for him. They didn't want to see him get hurt. But, but God's will be done. I think in our lives, too, we need to say that, that God's will be done. You know, whether it looks fun or it's what we want, it needs to be God's will be done. But, you know, we're going to look at this gift of prophecy a little bit because I think it's, it's important to take a little detour here. Um, and we're going to turn a couple books to the right to Corinthians. And we'll start in uh, chapter 12. You know, again, because we talk about the realities of Scripture, we talk about prophecy and things and the way they're used. And um, and the Lord's been ministering to me uh, a lot lately about things in the church, things in my own life. And, you know, I have to juggle them because I, I never want it to be about being bitter or about being disenfranchised or illusioned or puffed up or anything like that. And so there's a real struggle for me to, you know, a desire for me to say th- things sometimes. But then it's always a struggle, and I think it's a good struggle uh, to know whether I should say them or not, or what my motive is, or let the Lord deal these things. But, you know, like the Lord said, the things that he shows us in secret, we should preach from the housetops. And not that that's a carte blanche answer to say whatever is on our heart or mind, but I think we need to consider in these last days the state of health uh, of ourselves spiritually, because that determines the state of health of the church spiritually. If our lives spiritually are not healthy, if our lives are not ex- um, examples and exercising the gifts of the Spirit, then the church isn't going to be exercising. And I think that even if our lives are healthy sometimes, I think that the, the, the culture in the church may put limitations where there don't need to be limitations. And I think sometimes, as we'll see, we put limitations on things in the church corporately because things have been taken out of context so liberally. And it's out of a safety measure. Like, <laughs> things got really nuts for a while there, so we really need to tone it down and make sure it never happens again. And I think that, in a sense, that's healthy. Um, but I think it's come to a point where, uh, you know, at least in America, I don't know what the church is like anywhere else, and I'm American, but um, we really need to uh, get back to... Um, the essentials and the the fundamentals and the basics and the, the important things and really the spiritual things. But 1 Corinthians 12 says this in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, remember this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, the wayward church, church that had a lot messed up in it. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that the Lord, uh, that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, that there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. You know, there are diversities, differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. You know, that despite the differences, despite the way God may work himself out and in and through you and in me and in someone else, or how this church likes to do things, how this church likes to do things, you know, given in relation to the Spirit and not just personal preference, um, that it's the same Holy Spirit. That if God prophesies through you, but he teaches through someone else, but he encourages through someone else and heals through someone else, that that's all the same spirit in there. There's not one spirit that's better in someone else, but it comes out differently in someone else. It's like all the crayons are made out of wax, right? But they have a little bit different pigment in each one. So one color is blue, one color is red, but it's 
still the same chemicals in them. You know, the coloration's not not the biggest difference in those things. And again, not to take that to the nth degree and say, you know, do whatever you want, or one church is going to be totally errant and that's okay, because it's not the same spirit, because we still need to hold it up to the candle, to the flame of the scripture and say, well, does this jive? You know, when I throw this work into the flame of God, what comes out? What comes out? Is it culture? Is it um, my own ideas? Is it whatever it is? Is, is it just downright sin? But he goes on, he says, uh, in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. And that's a big one these days, that we would be able to discern the spirits. That when you're, you know, listening to a song, when you're, listening to a teaching, when you're listening to someone speak, when you're listening to your husband tell you something, that you would be praying for a discerning spirit. Uh, because it is a very deceptive age out there. You know, a lot of things slide that maybe we shouldn't let slide. A lot of things go on that maybe we just should totally cut out. But um, uh, in the name of holiness, not that we pursue them, but man, maybe we should just ignore them. Uh, but to another interpretation of tongues. You know, so Paul's saying these things Paul's saying that these things are going on and that one person is going to interpret a tongue. That's because someone else is speaking a tongue. But for someone to speak a tongue and someone to interpret a tongue, there has to be an opportunity to exercise those gifts. For someone to, to prophesy, there needs to be an opportunity for them to prophesy. Um, uh, but he says, before I get on that soapbox, but one in the other same spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, that these gifts are for individuals, that the, the church is a collective, is a corporate body of Christ, but it also is built on individuals. It's built on an individual, individual relationship between you and the Lord, between me and the Lord, between someone else and the Lord. And as we have that individual relationship with the Lord, the God is going to give us gifts. And we're to share those gifts. You know, when God gives us something, yeah, he gives it to bless us, but man, when he wants to use it to glorify his name. And if we keep it to ourselves, if we hide it under a bushel, whether it's evangelism, whether it's our relation with the Lord, or whether it's a word God has given you, or whether it's something he's shown you in study, um, or in your secret time with him, that, man, maybe there is an opportunity to share. And that doesn't mean that you're always going to share it. It doesn't mean that you're going to give a Bible study on Instagram, or whatever it is, or that you're going to always have this spectacular word, and this, you know, I think that there's a lot of fluff there. There's a lot of danger there. Again, we need to be wise about these things and be temperate about these things and that's part of what Paul's writing here to the Corinthians that they need to be temperate and temperate in these things but that God wills it as he wills God gives you a word who am I to say that that was wrong for the Lord to do who am I to say oh now's not the time for that now obviously that there has to be a sense of order as we also read through here that we're not going to read today but that there's a sense of order there's a time and a place for these things but my concern is, is there given a time and a place anymore to that? I'm not saying Sunday morning or even maybe even Wednesday evening, but I think more of the setting is for a home fellowship or for maybe a, a smaller worship night or maybe a bigger worship night. I don't know. Or maybe a Sunday evening or maybe even Sunday before service or Sunday after service or things of that nature. You know, obviously there has to be the word going out. There has to be a time. And as we'll see here in a minute, some issues with that. But I think that that's sorely lacking in the church today. And, uh, you know, I remember first getting saved and 
this was going on all the time. Like every week, youth group was together and the stuff was going on. Or we were together with leaders in the church and we'd all be hanging out and then God would use it. God would use it in fellowship. Um, and I think sometimes that that is lacking. I think part of it is people are afraid of it. I think part of it is people don't understand it. Like Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I think part of it is, you know, sometimes even myself in leadership, you just you put the kibosh on it because you don't want to deal with any weirdness that might come out. You know, you're afraid of any weeds that might grow up when God begins to plant flowers, you know. Uh, and so we say, let's just put concrete down and not even have a garden. And and I think that that's, you know, uh, you know, we need to come and we need to seek the Lord, but I think that there's also a need in the body, at least when I come, that, that man, I don't... I, when I come to church, I don't want a valid experience, so to speak. I want to have time with the Lord, but I think that sometimes that that's hindered when, uh, when we're afraid to 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 be who He's made us to be. And I don't want to go too much farther than that because I don't want to misconstrue it or anything of that nature. But let's go on, uh, verse uh, chapter thirteen. Let me make sure I'm right here. Actually, no. Uh, well, 13 is good. He talks about love, you know, that, that at the core of all this, that there really needs to be love. You know, I was listening to a good message with Francis Chan. Maybe you could listen to it this week, too, if you have time. I think it, maybe we listened to it before. I heard it before. So it wasn't new to me, but it was on, so I put it on my headphones at work while I was working. But um, just talking about uh, humility and the knowledge of scriptures, but that when a lot of times we forget to love the people, we forget that, you know, we're sharing these things in love. And that should be the, the crux of all this. And I think that that, too, is maybe part of the reason why all this isn't going on. Because, yeah, maybe we have phileo, maybe we have brother love, but maybe we don't have agape. Maybe we're not loving others when we come to church. And coming to church, yeah, to, to receive from the Lord, but also, God, you know, pray for these people during the week. Minister to them on a Sunday. Maybe there's an opportunity to share with them. I think of, you know, the body in New York or the body that we've been a part of down here, you know, that... Come to minister and also to be ministered to. You know, come to be open and be loved, and you know, have this the family environment. But let's go on. Verse uh, chapter fourteen says, uh, "Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy." Paul says here right away before you get any further, especially that you may prophesy. That there's a significance to prophesying. There's a significance to prophecy. Obviously, we see. Hey, but we see prophecy in the Bible about future events, about things about the Lord. And I'm not necessarily talking, we need to talk about the end times all the time, but that we might seek what God would uh, actually say to us. You know, that th- there is this importance to prophesying. Again, not that it's necessarily prophecy or talking in times, Revelation or Daniel, Ezekiel, things of that nature. Those are good. And that is definitely part of prophecy. God used prophets and the gift of prophecy and prophesying to give prophecy and times description, but that this word from the Lord, this prophet, this prophecy really is a word from God. You know, in a sense, teaching and prophecy are very similar because as you teach, God is going to prophesy through it, speak individually to someone. God is going to give a word for the church, which is prophecy that, you know, that there is this thing that God works through that, that they work hand in hand sometimes. Um, and I think that that can come through teaching and God will use that. But, um, you know, the Paul says that, that especially that you may prophesy, that that is something we should desire. And I think a lot of times 
that's the last thing on earth we want to do. Maybe I'll speak in tongues. Maybe that kind of sounds like fun. Maybe I'll do that. Or sure, I'll pray for you. God will heal you. Or sure, maybe I'll, I'll go out on a missions trip or evangelize. But prophecy, yeah. That's kind of like fire and brimstone. That's, you know, because it really is. It's when God speaks, it's thunders and lightnings protruding from the throne. So it's, it's a dangerous thing, but it's a powerful thing. But when God gives it, remember that it's a gift. That's not something that we wield. You know, we're not Excalibur, you know, knights of the round table. We're pulling the sword out of the stone. But God is giving us a gift that we might be vessels of him. And we even see in, uh, in Revelation, the two prophets that go out and the two witnesses and out of their mouth comes fire because it's a literal picture of things that are coming. Verse 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. You know, that when we're speaking in tongues, and not necessarily Spanish, but in actual heavenly language tongues, that we're not speaking to each other. We don't need to necessarily even be heard by each other, but we're speaking to God, and we're speaking things to God. You know, there's this contrast, as Paul's going to show us, between tongues and prophecy, where tongues is a language that goes up to heaven, and prophecy is the language of heaven that comes down to us, or the language of God, the words of God that come down to us, that when a tongue is given and interpreted, it's going to be a praise and a glory to God. It's going to be the person adoring and loving God. Tongues, the, pro- the interpretation of tongues is not prophecy. The interpretation of tongues is not, thus saith the Lord. That's prophecy. You know, so if someone speaks in a tongue and someone claims to give in a, an interpretation of it, and that interpretation is not something like, God, bless your name. You're a holy God. You're a loving God. Um, you know, you're a faithful God. You love, you know, we love you. You are worthy. You're glorious. You know, th- things of that nature. You know, that's that's tongues. That that can be a faithful interpretation of a tongue. Or God, I'm so thankful for what you did for me. Or thank you so much. You know that. You know, there's times when I pray or when I'm uh, in worship, and God will just, I'll try and sing, and tongues comes out because my heart is so overwhelmed that words, earthly words, it's not something I do purposely necessarily. Sometimes. Sometimes it is because it is a gift that, you know, I, you know, we can choose to speak in intelligible words or intelligible words to the Lord. But sometimes just, man, this overflow of your heart to the Lord. And it's um, usually out of thankfulness or gratefulness. But he says here, where were we? Uh, Verse 3, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. The difference between tongues and prophecy is that tongues edify yourself. That yeah, when we do speak to the Lord in tongues, it does edify ourselves. It does say, wow, there, there is this validity to the, what the Lord is doing in me. Because I didn't used to do this. I never would know what this is all about. And even then, I don't even know what the words are saying. But man, I just, I just sense edification going on in my heart when those things go on. And he who prophesies edifies the church. Now it's important that the church be edified. How important that a church, you know, how important it is that the church be edified, especially a church that's in persecution, especially a church that um, is struggling with a sin, especially a church that's going through a loss, that when someone comes and shares, they're not speaking in a tongue to bring glory to themselves, but that they're giving a word of prophecy, that as they minister to God, and as they minister to men, that God would minister to those people with a word saying, you know, don't worry, I'm with you. 
don't worry, I'm with you. I, you know, I'm, I'm watching over you. I've got this situation under control. And that doesn't come through tongues. It comes through prophecy. And that's why I think why Paul says it's important because you go through a lot. And you might need a word of prophecy 10 times a week. You might need him every service during a hard time. You might need it. Um, and that's why he says that I wish all of you spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. He's like, I want all of you to be personally edified with the Lord. I hope that all of you get the gift of tongues. But he prays that even more that they would all prophesy because he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless uh, indeed he interprets. You know that when interpretation comes for tongues, it, it's like tongues is like here and prophecy is up here. But when interpretation comes, it does elevate tongues because now everyone can understand everyone can be edified by it that doesn't always happen but when it does it is edifying for the body unless indeed he interprets that the church uh, interprets that the church may receive edification again when we come together it's that we together might be edified together we together might be built up together again when the church comes together it's for edification you know, when we spend time alone with the Lord, it should be edifying. But when we come together, it should be corporately edifying, but also personally edifying. That when we, if we spend time in worship or the Word or fellowship or spending time in exercising the gifts, that, you know, we're going to walk away. Yeah, maybe we might be broken over a sin, but there's an edification in that. That, yeah, something might be going on, but we've received something personally, but we've also received something corporately together. Um, you know, I think that's why it's so important to us as a family we spend time together to word and worship and prayer. We try and do that because we need it together. To, you know, It's not only just our own time in the Lord that strengthens us and strengthens our family, but our time together that strengthens our family. And the church is a big family. Let's go on. Let's try and just read through as much uh, through 25, if we can get that far. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? He's saying, you know, if I come to you with tongues, but I don't have all, if I don't speak to you a word God's given me, or some knowledge that I have about the scripture, about reality, or from the Lord, or by prophesying, or just by teaching you what the scriptures say, what are you going to get? You know, verse 7, even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how be known what is piped or played? You know, so if, if like if I try to play you a song, I don't know the notes. I don't know how to play, so it's just going to be a mess. You're not going to know that. You know, that's why it was always a. Uh, it's always awkward when someone starts playing something on the guitar or starts humming something and says, "You know what song this is?" And you're like, "Uh, no." I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I've been in that several times. It's like, it sounds it sounds good, but I have no idea what that is. Maybe I just don't know the song or whatever, but. No clue. And they're like, really? I don't know. And that's the same thing. That's not what the Lord would have for us when we're together. Uh, how do we know what a pipe to play? Verse 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You know. Was that the alarm? You know, the batteries start dying in the smoke detector, and it's like, you know, are you going to know that there's a fire and you're going to run out of the house? No, but when the batteries are good, when it's plugged in and it's loud, and you know mama's not cooking, you know, it's time to get out. And that's what he's saying here. You know, how, how will you know? Uh, so likewise you, unless you utter by tongue words, easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? You know, Paul says he comes not in uh, complicated speech or uh, complicated speech, but he comes in simple speech. You know, he wants 
that people would understand. He doesn't need to, to resort to using his thesaurus. So likewise you, unless you utter by tongue uh, words easy to understand, how will be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. And that's not what God would have for us. There are maybe so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And again, that's not God's heart for us. God does not want us to be foreigners. He wants us to be family. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. And man, I think that a lot of people are zealous for spiritual gifts, you know, probably myself and times included, for the wrong reason. You know, because you want... You want to get up there and speak, or you want to be looked at as some spiritual authority. That's not what it's about. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful, meaning my spirit knows what's going on, but, and that's where you get that edification from, but your mind doesn't know what you're saying. So what is the conclusion then? I will pray with it. No class is going to fix that either. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So not only is that tongues and singing, but it's tongues and praying. There's also words that make sense, and also songs that make sense. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, and you're giving him thanks since he doesn't understand what you say. You know, you show up, and you're like showing up in an all-Spanish service, and you don't speak Spanish, and I don't know. I, I would love to. It looks. Everyone else seems to agree with him, but I don't know what he's saying. How can I agree with him? And God doesn't want it to be that way. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. But I thank my God with. Uh, but I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul's like, I'm not against tongues. I speak with it more than all of you guys. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also. That again, this prophecy is to teach others, to show others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's, that's a big deal for a guy whose job is speaking. To rather use five words than 10,000, I think that that's definitely a struggle for anyone uh, sharing the scriptures. Brethren, do not believe, uh, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be based, when understanding be mature. And the law is written, With men of other tongues and lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. They will not hear me, says the Lord. God wants us to hear him. God wants us to know him. God wants us to understand him. And I think part of the reason why we don't understand him, why we don't hear him, is because we ignore the gifts. We ignore the prophet out in the street, and I'm being metaphorical here, turned on his side for 300 days or whatever it was. You know, I think, uh, like there was silence before the Lord came for 400 years. I think, I think the church at large is missing what God is doing because they don't use the gifts correctly. Maybe we don't use the gifts correctly in our own lives because we want to ignore the fact that, hey, maybe this person does have something to say. And I'm not, again, not saying to do it disorderly in the middle of the service on a Sunday on a Wednesday or to interrupt each other or to come in with pomp and circumstance, but I think that, man, when the church is exercising the gifts, when people are exercising the gift, there's a health there. There's a life there where you go, we don't need a big light show. 
We don't need, we're not, yeah, we're glad that this worship team came to town and we'll go see them perhaps at a concert and bring people. But we're not out back begging for autographs. We're not there staring at them. But we're worshiping with the Lord that we don't hold people higher than we should. You know, because the minute that we begin to take God out of his rightful place is the minute that we put other things in his place. So one of the things that the worship conference was about worship about how music is being lifted up as opposed to Jesus. And, and again, you know, I'm not going to be dogmatic about these things and say that um, it's wrong to use certain elements in worship, whether it's lights or other things. I think there's a time and place for those, you know, especially to reach the culture or maybe in a more of evangelistic way. But on the other hand, it's like, well, do we need them? Is that what they really need? Do they need a Christian concert? Don't they just need the presence of Jesus? Don't they just need... To see authentic worship, to see and hear an authentic word from the Lord, whether it is through a tongue interpreted or through prophecy, do they really need a light show? Do they really need, you know, whatever it is that we think we need as a church um, in America? And again, I'm not going to write down and be dogmatic and say that those things aren't going to be used by God, but I just wonder: did the, the inspiration for those things come out of? times with the Lord or times with the world and he says uh, therefore tongues are for the sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers verse 22 but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there uh, come in those who are uninformed or aren't even believers will they not say that you are out of your mind but if all prophecy and unbelie- but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That if an unbeliever or someone who's maybe new to the Lord or maybe doesn't know all these things about the reality of truth and Christianity. And they come in and everyone's just babbling away. They're going to go, this is nuts. And rightfully so, because Paul says, basically in his way, it is nuts. It's nuts to come together and want to hear from the Lord and not be able to understand a word of it. It's crazy to come together and say that you're... Why even come together? If tongues is a gift to edify yourself with the Lord, why even come together with someone else to exercise it? What's the point? It has no bearing on edifying other people. Yeah, other people, you know, maybe in a smaller setting, in a blue moon, someone's going to say, oh, this is what tongues is like. I don't need to be afraid of it. Okay, I get that. But as a whole group, what's the point? But if everyone's got a word from the Lord, if God's speaking through this person, and the word that this person has in jives of that, and we begin to get this picture, this revelation, this uh, revealing of the Holy Spirit, and when God is speaking and moving, and the reality of God, and the power of God, there comes this conviction because it's the presence of God. And when the presence of God is there, there's a conviction there. And when there's conviction there, there's brokenness there. Like this guy says here that he uh, sees that God is with him. He says he falls down on his face. What happens? He worships God. And he reports that God is really there. That God is among these people. And I think that people aren't falling down and worshiping God. People aren't coming to church and saying that God is truly there. Because we're not giving God an opportunity. We're not giving God an opportunity to speak that. Or even in a sense, when God is speaking, we're not hearing. 
we're not listening like it says. And again, not that we're you know I think that there's a model that works, and I, you know I agree with the Calvary model, and you know I see a lot of other models out there, and I go that doesn't work. You know I'm not saying Calvary's perfect. I see other movements that have strengths, but we're all the body. You know we need to. We need to be God's body. We need to let him work, especially these last days, because as things are getting rougher and rougher, you're not going to have a light show anymore. You're not going to have a big sanctuary anymore. You're not going to have 10,000 people at your church. Maybe you will, and that'll be awesome in an underground church like in China somewhere. But those things don't edify. And when hard times come, like Jesus said, the things I speak to you in the private, the things that I speak to you in your ear, whisper in your ear, those you need to preach. And you don't need to be afraid when hard times come because those are the things that are going to get you through the hard times. Those are the things that are going to get others through hard times. Um, And we need that. We need that. If we're going to live, we need the words of life as uh, Jesus has. So um, when it comes to tongues and prophecy, we shouldn't be afraid. When it comes to praying for someone to heal them, we shouldn't be afraid to do so. When it comes to evangelizing, we really shouldn't be afraid. Although we live in fearful times for doing such things, we shouldn't be afraid. We need to share. But God, we need you to do these things, Lord. It's your spirit that's the same spirit. We can't muster up a personality and we can't muster up our own strength and, and expect any fruit. Expect it to be real, Lord. It's not real if we're doing it, Lord. But Holy Spirit, would you fill us would you bless us as a family here? Would you bless the church corporately? God, you take us aside. You remove us from things that are comfortable and things that are pleasant. God, to work in us, to move in us. And God, as you break us and as you do these things, you, be, you speak to us and you show us things. And, and Lord, sometimes the only way for us to see the forest for the trees, so to speak, is to be taken out of the forest, to be brought out into a wilderness or to a riverside or to a mountaintop or to a stormy situation. And God, you begin to show us uh, what was good and what we had and what wasn't so good. Sometimes we can't see the problems that are all around us when we're in the middle of them. Sometimes we need to be taken out of them for uh, God, I know you desire to bring a change in the church. And there's a lot of good things in the church. But God, like in Revelation, in that word of prophecy, God, you say, hey, you're doing this good and this good, but man, this is messed up and you need to fix it. Um, and that was more often than not. There were some churches who were doing all, just all right. And I pray that that would be the churches that we love and that we're a part of, that they would just be all right. They would be serving you and there wouldn't be a word of rebuke for any of them. But God, if... If there is, for us personally or corporately, if there's a word or a difference that you need to make, God, would you make it that men would fall down and worship you, that we would fall down and worship you and be convicted. And God, allow that conviction to bring us to you and your holiness and uh, to be changed by you. And forgive us, God, of our sin and forgive us, God, of uh, desiring things for our own gain. But may you, may you work the way you want to work. May you do what you want to do. And not just because it's the last days, but it's because who you are. And God, you are God. And we love you for that. And we thank you for that. And then God, you died for us. Because you are holy. And God, that 
if anything, that gives you a right to speak into our lives. Um, you had a right anyway, but how much more so now that you died for us and rose again. So God, would you speak in our lives by prophecy? Would you speak in our lives personally in tongues and interpretations? But God, may your word be something that we, uh, we, we live by and we trust. And we thank you for that. We ask God that you would bless this day and our time. We thank you for being with us. Thank you for my kids and my family and our friends in Maryland and New York and Indiana and Virginia and, and all over, God. We pray your blessings on them. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.